Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is The Personal Finance Show. This is uh, episode 13, week 13 of the COVID-19 series that I started after I took a break to be a stay-at-home dad for a bit, and I became a full-time BIA insolvency counselor, counseling people who have just filed for bankruptcy or a consumer proposal in Canada. That's what I do full-time now, and I, you know, my son is uh, turning 17 months soon, and uh, but... COVID-19 came up and I said, I need to do something during this. I need to connect with people. We're also isolated. I need to find out what's going on. How are people dealing with this? I have a lot of anxiety about traveling here and there during a state of emergency, I've been realizing. I have less anxiety about getting COVID-19 than I do about going out and breaking rules that people are setting. So this is, you know, we all are learning about uh, how we're handling this. Everyone handles it differently maybe listening to somebody's story about how they're handling it and what's going on in their world and what they're observing could help you uh, you know, deal with this a little bit better. And of course, this is the personal finance show, so we're going to talk about money and uh, everything is money with this, right? I mean, when, when a pandemic hits, uh, you uh, may or may not uh, still have your job anymore. Maybe you have a job that could not be translated into a work from home situation. Uh, those of us who uh, do are very lucky, actually. Um, and maybe you had an emergency fund, maybe you didn't. Uh, it's bringing up all this stuff that maybe didn't seem so important before, and, and now it's a way more important. Maybe you're even having to pivot uh, it, a whole industry. I, you know, I talked to a lot of people uh, since this started, you know, because I do counseling sessions all day. And this is uh, everybody's in a different situation. We're all in this together, but differently, as my friend Rubina would say. Um, so, uh, today, um, uh, I have a, a Canadian on the show, which is great. Uh, Jackie Porter, a certified financial planner and other things too, I, I believe, uh, author. And, uh, I'm sure there's a, a whole list of things. Uh, welcome Jackie to the show. Very nice to be here. It's, uh, so you are an author, uh, single by choice or by, or, or chance. That's right. Single by choice or chance. Yes. For all which, of your listeners who've been single by choice or chance, they know what I'm talking about. Yes. And and specifically uh, uh, how to do money in those situations. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the book is actually um, was meant to be a lifestyle book because uh, one of the things that my mentor and I identified. So Jill O'Donnell is my mentor and she's co-author of the book. She's a lifestyle coach. And so okay, yeah. I wanted to write a book that was not just about money because women in particular, we want someone to um, talk to us about our whole lives, not just money, because money is just a tool. So how does money help us to empower us to live the life we want to live? Uh, so we talk about all kinds of things in the book. We talk about, you know, aging in place. Like, can you live in the house that you started off living with as a woman who's single by chance over 45? Can you take care of your aging parents? Because single women are often... Um, tasked with taking care of the aging parent, right? Because we don't have anything else to do, of course. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's just, and just loving your life as a single person. There's a lot of stigma about being a single person. Um, and especially as time goes on, um, I know that for myself personally, I was single for a really long time. Um, the assumption was that I was a lesbian. <laughs> I've heard that. What Really? Just, people oh, yeah. just jump right to that? You're single in a certain age. Based on what? Just based on still being single, right? Wow. Um, so there's still a lot of stigma in society about, about being, and nothing wrong with being a lesbian. It's just that's not what I was. And so why make the assumption, right? Well, it's just, it's, it's, it's an assumption based on what people deem to be traditionally normal. And I, and I don't, uh, I don't, I hope that we're just diverting from that. That's, 
just to going to that assumption that you can't be single unless you know. But even then, that, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't be in a couple if you're a lesbian, right? Yeah, well, like, <laughs> well, well, that's it. So you know, we wanted to celebrate. I wanted to celebrate single women and show them that they could, you know, take care of themselves financially. There's a path to being empowered and being single because it's really better to be single by choice than by chance. And so it doesn't matter what your circumstances is. We could be talking to a man too, because men have given me flack about the book. But the truth is, um, you don't know when in your life you're going to all of a sudden find yourself suddenly in, suddenly single. And it's just being empowered and and making sure you're okay no matter what. And so it's all about financial independence in the end. So how can I organize my life, whether I'm with a man or with a woman or not, that I'm going to be financially secure, that I'm going to have a life that I want to live. I'm going to be intentional about what my legacy is. Those are all the things the book addresses. Yeah, not relying on anybody else for your financial uh, control for for your future. Uh, yeah, financial empowerment is such a great concept. I want to know about the flack from the, from the men. What are they telling you? They were saying, you know, men can be suddenly single too, right? Sure. I mean, thing. one of the things I learned when I did the research for the book was that the average age of a widow is 56. Okay. So just imagine, That's right? so young. So young. Yet the, you know, I, I have to pick on the financial industry, even though I represent it, because Please. we tend to, you know, sell our, our clients a bill of goods that say, you know, you're going to be walking on the beach with your partner yeah. in, in, in your retirement and you're going to live that life. But if the average age of a widow is 56 and women or men aren't prepared to, you know, financially be able to take care of themselves, where does that leave them? Well, the stats aren't great. It leaves them in a scenario where they can be, you know, the average, the unfortunate thing, especially for women, we're the biggest uh, recipient of low income seniors benefits. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, if, if women divorce, we're three to five times more likely to end up in poverty as a result of a divorce. So women have to really focus on this financial empowerment piece, because at the end of the day, the only person that we can control is ourselves. Um, and, you know, even in a great relationship, like I've had women come to me um, to do financial plans to, to see if they could le- leave their husbands, if no. they could afford to do that. Right. Um, yeah. And so to me, the worst thing is to be in a relationship because of money, um, because you don't know how to take care of yourselves financially. Yeah, that's it just sounds terrible. Do you know Sajal Patel? No, that name is Canadian. Not. Yeah, uh, the, I, I need to introduce the two of you because she talks about this a lot, too. You, what you just said, the stat about uh, being, uh, you know, uh, women in retirement, uh, low income seniors. Um, she would have been mentioning that, too. That's a big, big stat to know. It's a very big stat. The other big stat is um, the the actual, the highest group of divorcees is actually uh, retirees. So people in retirement are getting divorced at record levels. So they're they're calling it the silver haired separation. Yeah, because <laughs> now you got to spend more time with this person. <laughs> it's terrible. You, um, may not, you might not have the same things in common anymore. The kids are gone, you know, and your lives just might have drifted apart. And And again... Now you're in a scenario where you're forced to stay with someone that you don't even want to be with. And those are the good situations. What if you're in an abusive scenario and you yeah. really it's, it's like it's about your life to yeah. to to stay. And and so understanding money is just essential. It's a skill we all can learn. And so it, it, means, it means you have choices. And I'm all about choices. Freedom choices, because, yeah, it's a prison. You're in a prison if you don't have financial empowerment. Uh, you, yeah, like to stay in, oh, it's just a, such a, that's the worst thing to me to have to stay in an abusive relationship because of money. 
not because uh, you're confused emotionally, perhaps you, you know, or for the children. There's a lot of reasons why people stay. Money should not be one of them. Um, you know, you, there should be a, a more social programs in place specifically for that reason. If something can be solved by money uh, that would save somebody's life, uh, that's where the government should step in. Yeah. And, you know, here we are, you were talking about being in a pandemic. Women actually, in this scenario, um, there's a lot of women who are in abusive scenarios. Uh, you know, COVID, meaning we're at home with our partners. So if we're at home with our abusive partners, there's more uh, record oh, yes. happening in this scenario. Um, and so, again, it's really important for women to have options through social programs. But also, if you're entering a, a relationship, with someone, you want to come in there having your own money. If they are um, coming in there, you want to know what their money situation is. You also, if you're not the person managing money, you also want to be kept in the loop about what's going on with money. You know, there's a lot of widows that are finding out their husbands didn't have insurance. There's no insurance on the mortgage. All of a sudden, they didn't, they were caregivers primarily, they were caregivers at home. What's going to happen to them? What's their future look like? You know what I mean? So you want be kept in the loop, whether you're the person managing the money or not, know where your money's located, have an annual meeting if you're not the person taking care of the money as to what's going on with your money and, and plan together. Because one of the reasons that people actually separate, one of the primary reasons is because of money. Yeah. So what what's your what's your partner's money values do they align with your own so many people are getting into relationships and they're actually only finding out about their 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 partner's finances after the honeymoon's over <laughs> the honeymoon's over as soon as you find out that the partner's finances look like bad credit look like debt yeah and all of a sudden, if you're a woman, and, and these days women are getting married later and having children later, so you find out that your partner's in debt, they have a completely different approach to money than you do, what's that going to do to the ultimate longevity of that relationship? It's everything. Uh, first date, that's my rule. First date, Jackie. <laughs> well, get, <laughs> first date. Uh, will you, are you second, would you say second date? <laughs> I would say if you know you're going to have a long term, like if you're thinking seriously, once you make that sort of choice, yeah, yeah, once you make that choice that you you see this person as someone who could be a lifetime partner, now is the time. Once the person becomes lifetime partner material, okay. that is the time to what I call get financially naked with that person. Yes. You're going to get naked with that person. Get financially. <laughs> naked. If you can't get financially naked. That's that's to me a very big red flag. If you yeah. can't talk to that person about money, isn't that crazy? Isn't that crazy? Thing? Right? Like why why are we so okay to be intimate in many many ways with someone, but money still intimacy is uh, with money is not a thing. It's there's so much stigma still uh, around this. So let's we we need to keep changing this. Yeah, you know, and and actually, that's actually one of the reasons why I call myself a financial confidant. I call myself a financial confidant because their money is still a very big taboo subject mm. um, for most people. Like, you'll probably get less offended with me if we talk about sex or you know some other taboo subject. But if I'm asking you how much money do you actually have in your bank account, Bo, and you know what's your credit rating? Yeah, I'll t- <laughs> I'll might- tell you. I know, but lots of people might take offense. Then they do, yeah. And, and so I want people to feel like they can tell me their money truths. We can have a real conversation about money and there'll be no shame and no blame. And 
we can't always have said that about the financial industry because, you know, there's been this like veil of secrecy around the financial industry where only some people can um, have money conversations. And if you don't look a certain way, you might not be somebody who's encouraged to sit down and have a, a money conversation with a, an advisor. You might have to earn a certain amount of money. So I call myself a confidant so people feel they can tell me their money story. There'll be no shame, no blame. What we're looking at are strategies to make the most of their personal finance, no matter what their circumstances. And but I, the other reason I call myself a confidant is people also need to know who I am, right? What are my credentials? How can I help? How do I earn my income? Like all of these are valid conversations you need to be able to have with your advisor and do a gut check around that. Because if they can't answer those questions or you don't feel comfortable, and this is a big issue for women, we don't necessarily feel empowered to advocate for ourselves in these types of financial conversations, whether it's with our partner or a financial professional. But if you feel like that, my big um my big takeaway for you is run. Don't walk from that conversation. And if that's your partner, same thing. If like you can't have a money conversation with your partner, probably keep in mind, money is something you're going to have to tackle with that person the entire life of your relationship. So better get comfortable with it sooner rather than later. Same thing with a financial professional. If you don't feel like you can have a money truth conversation with someone, that's probably not your person. And, and I know you get there by sharing your story, which is a fantastic right. story. And you're going to be on the show again in the future to tell that whole story in detail. In the meantime, I'm posting a link in the show notes for your background because we could do the whole show talking about that. Um, <laughs> but the, yes, everything you said it makes absolute sense. And the more uh, that we talk about this and the more people that are encouraged to uh, you know join your industry, right? I mean, I've, talking, I've, I've spoken to uh, several people. Um, you know, one of my recent guests, Daryl Brown, who is, uh, a, you know, a financial professional like yourself. And, um, you know, his, his story was he always just stayed in the background uh, of, of, uh, of the financial analysis thing, never front end because he literally was like, who's going to be my clients? You know, my, mm -hmm. my dad's friends, uh, you know, uh, who's going to be my clients. And, and of course, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't understand that that's, that's a huge barrier. You know, you, you just think, well, anybody. Right. But then then when you think about it closer, well, people want to be reflected in the people that they trust. And if you don't see yourself, you know, so and then, uh, you know, so um, this is so unfortunate that this still exists. But we, you know, we just need to keep making changes uh, to this. Um, and, uh, you know, that's so again, we can have a whole show about that. I real listening to your interviews. I realized everything that you said. I could we could have a whole series. It's like you might as well just come and co-host the podcast with me, um, because well, that, that, some time. right? Yeah, exactly. We we just should do that, right? Um, but uh, again, you definitely need a podcast, uh, and we'll we'll we're working on that. We're gonna get you into the business for sure. <laughs> get, I, I love the way you're like ushering me into this. I, I really oh. love. No, I mean, uh, again, so many uh, voices, uh, uh, similar voices in, in, the, in the industry. We need as many different stories and different uh, backgrounds and different, uh, you're focusing on, on women and women of color and, 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 and diversity and everything. Because, you know, uh, as you were saying, the, the picture that we paint of retirement, the picture that we paint uh, uh, for, uh, uh, of uh, just 
the image that is is there is this default uh, old white male, right? And and uh, sure, maybe I could look up and I oh great, I'm reflected in everything. I but I don't care, right? I don't need that, right? I mean because I have it. That's I mean that's a, a let's point that out, right? I mean the reason I don't need all of these things is because it's always been there for me, right? right? So right. It, it's it's not important for me to if it all changes to to uh, everybody else, it's not going to bother me. But uh, unfortunately for some people they think that it will bother them, right? If, if all of this changes, right? Yeah. And- yeah. And I, like for a long time, Bo, I, I remember like having conversations with um, a head of companies saying, I don't see, you know, diversity. I don't see women of color. I don't see single women represented, rep- represented in the marketing material. Mm-hmm. If we know the average age of a widow is 56, why aren't we showing older women, single, looking confident around their finances. How could that help the industry as a whole, elevate the industry as a whole, if we're showing real people living their lives, doing well? Could that serve the, the communities that we're trying to serve? Yes. And and the answer to that is always yes. But for some reason, it's still falling on, on some deaf ears. And uh, it's just, all of this is taking time. This is a very... Um, uh, um, like the example of what's been happening lately in the U.S. is how everybody thinks that everything is good, and then uh, we now we're realizing it's not good. It just changed a little bit, and it's it was in the background a little bit more, and now uh, it's, it's it's all being filmed for everybody to see. Um, you know, we're the change seems a bit too slow to me. But of course, this has been going on for so long. Only in 1974 was the the uh, Equal Opportunity um, uh, Alone Act uh, enacted, so that you couldn't discriminate against someone if they weren't a, a white male for getting a loan, like in <laughs> law by law. But but the thing about these laws is they they don't necessarily change uh, the behaviors of people who have been doing this for so long, right? Right. Minds even more important than their behaviors. They have it. They don't change their mindset. So if you still have a mindset that says, um, you know, you still think that something as random as some as someone's skin color should matter in terms of being that them being able to give be being offered a loan. Mm-hmm. So their business plan, it looks good. You see that they have you know cash flow that's going to come to support the loan, but your mindset says they don't deserve it. You know, how does that affect a whole, you know, group of people that and I mean, it's something so random. Like I say to people all the time, you know what, Um, being a person of color who's also been discriminated in the industry, you can dislike me because I'm an opinionated person and not everybody loves me. And I'm okay with being considered an opinionated pain in the ass. I'm totally fine with that. (laughs) But for you to dislike me for something as random as my genes, as my skin color, well, I, I actually, unfortunately, pity that that's how you feel. I really it, do. I don't know what you think about this, but it seems to me that it's almost worse that uh, racism has become implicit than explicit. You can deal with explicit racism. It's pretty yeah, clear. I, I, Imp- I would- right? It, it, in Implicit racism, in especially the microaggressions and everything, it's so uh, tiny that we it's even hard to address it. And people don't know that they're doing it, so we can't pointed out and when we pointed out they say i'm not doing it and it's just this weird crazy uh, circle that we go in saying well then i mean it, it what it takes is uh, that person has to actually open their mind a little that's the only yeah. way to stop this right yeah and you know here's the thing this is the unfortunate but fortunate um 
thing about this moment that we're in, right? Unfortunately, George Floyd lost his life and it's a, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing for their family, for his family who, you know, has lost him. Um, but the one good that's come out of it is this whole scenario has opened a lot of people's hearts and minds to the reality of what lots of um, discriminated uh, cultures go through, right? Uh, what, what racism does to everyone, what racism does to a group of people. Um, and so that's the that's the one good that's come out of it is everybody's minds and hearts. You know, there's a bit of an opening there that they can see what people like George Floyd, like me, have 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 to live through sometimes. And and so the sequence of events here is that it took uh, the pandemic first of all, right? Yeah. To and um now yeah. So just uh, let's let's go through your experience with the with the pandemic. So uh, are you working from home? Um, I am. So, so you, you, so was your income affected though? Were you speaking in the public, and was, like, was there anything like that that was affected? Yeah, yeah, I had a lot of really awesome speaking opportunities that were supposed to be coming up. Um, okay, and I had a really cool opportunity with Salesforce that was supposed to come wow. up in June. They, they have actually. I last year I, I won an award called the Female Trail Trailblazer of the Year Award, which That's was super awesome, cool. super that was cool. an amazing experience. And um, so um. Salesforce reached out to me because they actually have a trail, they're a trailblazing company. They consider themselves. So I was going to do this awesome um, talk on being a trailblazer in, in June. That went away. Um, a bunch of other speaking opportunities that I had booked went away. And um, most of them aren't happening until probably the first quarter of the year. So that kind of went away. So one of the reasons I started my So What Now What, like COVID and money series that happens every Wednesday on Instagram is because yeah. I want in front of people again and engage with people because I really enjoy it. So I was just kind of trying to figure out a way to do that during COVID. Um, but in terms of my income, um, you know, to be quite honest, things haven't changed much. If anything, I've, I'm saving a bit more money now. <laughs> I'm not driving to see clients. I'm not driving to the office. I'm not um, doing a lot of dinner meetings with with my clients. You know, I'm not traveling. I love to travel, um, you know, in my spare time. So none of those things are happening. <laughs> so I'm preparing for the great, uh, the tax, the tax uh, that's coming for 2020, 2021. Yeah, yeah. Time, yeah. <laughs> tax grab that's coming in 2021 because <laughs> something that I should prepare for and and you know what just making you know what I call my financial fortress a little bit stronger because the truth is my what has gone up are some of my expenses I'm spending more on my remote uh, setup so having my team being able to speak to my team remotely spending things spending for a professional zoom account sure. um, spending on things to basically um, you know work successfully remotely and so that's some of my spending that I've I've had to uh, that's that's increased during COVID for sure. And and without you know again we don't have time to go into your full story, but you've been able to build up I think you said a seven figure net worth uh, over over time. Now it seems like uh, in, in isolation that seems like oh you know good good for you, uh, but the the background uh, will explain that it wasn't like it was handed to you or anything like that. Right? Oh oh yeah. no I. I was raised by a single mom, yeah. you know, and I also became suddenly single at 16 when my mother, my, my single mom, who she was the one who she's really my foray into financial empowerment. You know, by the time I was seven, she said, you know, never rely on a man, always have your own. Mm -hmm. And you know, she was somebody who had a million side hustles as well as a full-time job. So she really prepared me for, for life on my own at 16. 
she was constantly um, drafting me into all the things she was involved in because, I, hey, I grew up in the 70s, Bo, and we didn't have the child labor laws that came after us, which yeah. was whatever my mother was doing, kind of I was doing. So she really prepared me to to live on my own at 16, figure out how to pay the bills, you know, work three jobs while going to school full time, all of those things she prepared me for. And and truly, things only changed for me when I was in my 20s after only having, at that time, I finished university, had my first full-time job, working just one job, which was like revolutionary for me. And, and one of the things that I was able to do during that time, because I was always good at living quite frugally, which you do when you have little yep. to work with, mm-hmm. um, I was saving as much as I could while working at that company, maxing out their stock program, maxing out their RSP program. And so I managed to amass some savings while I was at this company and then got downsized. And and then somebody, a friend of mine, we were living it together during our time um, as children because she was also somebody who was on her own from a very early age. So she had said to me, you should talk to a financial planner. And I was like, what? There's something called a financial planner. <laughs> she, she referred me to my very first financial planner who happened to be a woman and a woman of color. So pretty much she was like a unicorn. Yeah, back, back then for sure. So she's actually the person who, had I had my very first money conversation with. And she said to me, and I would have been like 26 at the time. And, um, you know, so 16, 26, that's 10 years of me working three jobs and living a really crazy life. She said, you know what? Um, you know, you can actually make money work for you. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was like, I felt like a senior at 26. I was like, really? Like my mother was somebody who had a very strong work ethic. So that's what I inherited. I knew how to work hard. And, you know, people would come to me. They'd see me as somebody living on my own in my early 20s and my teens. And they thought I knew a lot about money. And I was always doling out advice to people with the little I knew. But all I knew was how to work hard. Yeah. So have this woman talk to me about having money work hard was like revolutionary to me. That what a life changing thing. At 26, you're you're about 20 years ahead of most people. I would yeah. say, or at least 10, let's say. Yeah, right? yeah. So she changed my life, to be quite honest, because mm. as she was talking to me about money and all the things I could do with my money, I just kept thinking, there's a business out there that can teach me how to make money work for me. I need to learn everything I could about that, because all I ever knew was how to work hard. And I was tired, but I really wanted to figure out how I could have financial security. Um, that's just not something that I ever experienced. So I desperately wanted that. So I said, tell me how I can get into this industry. Because I knew if I had that kind of advice throughout my life, what a difference it would have made. So that led me to, you know, get into the financial industry. I I thought I was going to be a journalist. I thought I was going to be a therapist. I thought I was going to do all these other things when I got uh, downsized. But I became a financial planner truly out of need. And so that led me to get all my licenses, figure out um, how I could make money work for me and that's what led me to create my seven figure net worth, not having an inheritance or having daddy's right. money. Or exactly. Money. Right. And, and, and <laughs> yeah, so you're like, yeah, I mean, again, I want to have the full conversation about this yes. because it just doesn't seem adequate to get there. So the, the point was that you're doing okay. Um, but you're, you know, you've built this to, and, and to be able to give back too, right. You're, te- you're teaching so many people. So like now, for example, during COVID you have clients uh, that might be coming to you, uh, do you have some examples of how this is affecting them uh, disproportionately or like 
some people because everyone's again we're in it together but differently right a hundred percent there's so many different stories so i'll tell you a couple of six of good stories and i'll tell you some stories of not so good stories right so so, some good stories so i have one client who was getting divorced in the midst of covid they literally sold their house three days before covid hit oh no was in the middle of changing apartments and and doing all of these things. So, you know, I just spoke to her actually a few days ago because, you know, she can, you can imagine it's been a whirlwind for her. And she said to me that COVID's actually been a blessing because she's been able to be home with her kids Mm. during a really like crazy time in their lives, right? Their, their families are being split up. So to, to be able to just spend that time with her kid being able to be there for them as they go through the, this experience of actually, you know, not having a family scenario anymore. That's really been a blessing for her. And just ha- her having this downtime to kind of reflect, because sometimes she has the kids, sometimes her, her ex-partner has the kids, just having that time to reflect and mourn through, you know, because even when you div- you divorce and it's the right thing to do, it's still grief. You're st- It's still a loss. So she's been really grateful to have this downtime to just mourn, the loss of the relationship and, you know, figure out what her life is going to be like. So that's a really positive uh, story from that perspective. Um, And, you know, so now she's ready to, we just spoke last week and now she's ready to plan out her life a little bit more now that she's had some downtime to think about, you know, what she wants to do next. Now for other people, it hasn't been as great. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had this, this one guest, I I do this um, series called COVID and money on Instagram every Wednesdays at five o'clock. And I've talked to business owners on there. I was talking to a, um, a restaurant owner, right? So she's had this restaurant business. She caters to weddings. She caters to all of these different um, events. Who's watched her business drop 70% all gone. during COVID during a time she had just bought a property. <laughs> and, and so it's been, so she's, you know, hustled to, 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 to create a more robust um, online presence to to do more catering, online catering, things like that. Um, but she says, you know, if maybe if she was, you know, this was her second or third year in business, this would have been great. She'd be very happy with the results she's had. But this is her 15th year in business <laughs> to lose 70% of her sales. Uh, it's, been, yeah. it's been a really tough, tough go, um, especially carrying, as I said, now a mortgage on a new property um, it, she spent a lot of sleepless nights just figuring how to keep her business going. Because it's supposed um, to, at you know, this point in your life, after that long, you're supposed to, it's it's like uh, you work hard, you hustle at the beginning, and then you're supposed to be able to coast a little bit on that, right? Isn't it like, that's that's what they t- teach us. And that's this, right. what that's COVID right. has done is just decimated a lot of that and having, forcing restarts on, on people who are tired. Just that's right. Tired, right? That, that's, that's exactly right. And that, I think that probably characterizes how she's feeling while well, she's tired. And she's trying to be hopeful because at least people, the phone's still ringing, people are still calling her. But you're right. And, and truly, some of the conversations I've had with business owners, like COVID, it's not like she had a failing business before that. I yeah. mean, this doesn't mean she's failed. And, and, and truly, like the message I'm hearing from business owners is, you know what, it doesn't matter what stage of business we're at. The truth is, we're all students of our business. Mm. You know what I mean? And and we're always experimenting when we're business owners. It's not a failure. She's not a failure because her business isn't working now. Um, It's just that sometimes when business is going well, sometimes we forget that we're still students of our business. Sometimes we can be Harvard grads, but sometimes we we flunkies. 
right. not stop. We don't get to stop, right? And 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 we should be ready to pivot. I think getting too comfortable, and and in a way, maybe this kind of thing is supposed to shake us up a little bit. It it is. I mean, and and I think probably the best thing to be is to be the new kid in your business all the time, right? <laughs> like, yeah, beginner's because, mind. Right? Beginner's mind, because you're constantly observing. But, you know, like I think people are mourning the loss of what they had and it's and it's horrible. It's it's yeah. a, not a good scenario That's to, be fine. To, be, to be having to like, especially bootstrapping, pivoting um, so quickly, right? Not everybody can do that. And so, you know, here is another story of uh, a wedding, basically a wedding planner, who does a lot of wedding event planning. I had this other guest come on. She was she's a wedding event planner and she's become an officiant. She she got her training to become a wedding officiant so she can actually officiate weddings during COVID um, just to create another income stream. Okay. So, so sometimes it's like when you're a business owner, you just kind of have to put on your big girl or big boy pants and say, okay, the most important thing is to keep food on the table and my business going. So what can I do? What's next? And, you know, obviously you spend time mourning, but you have to also have to spend time thinking about what do I need to do to keep my business going? That's the, you just have to keep asking yourself questions and, you know, think through the answers because they'll come. Sometimes what I find is you just have to ask the question and your mind will start working on the answers. And maybe it's hiring a business coach and, and making, getting someone to help you as you make that, as you said, that pivot. Because sometimes you need people, you can't always do it alone. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, we all try to get through these kinds of things on our own. There's, there's stigma around that too, right? It's like asking for help is like sometimes the worst thing for, for people uh, when that's the, maybe the only way to get uh, going to the next thing. How can you know about something that you don't know about? How can you find out about something if you don't, uh, you know, uh, uh, collaborate? No, a hundred percent. And you're too close to it. You know what I mean? It's your business. It's your baby. So having somebody come out, somebody that's completely outside of the business who knows nothing about what you're doing and giving you some fresh ideas that might be just what you need. And, and you know, the thing about business owners is we're natural optimists. We're natural, you know, can do people. Yeah. And, and, and that sometimes, um, really gets in the way of us asking for help and doing what we need to do to keep our business going. And I'm I'm here to tell you there's no shame, there's no blame in asking for help. You haven't done anything wrong. And and all if if all you're trying to do is figuring out how to keep your doors open, it's it's actually uh, essential to get help where you need it to figure out the next thing that you need to do. And so so this is uh what you're seeing with COVID and this has been I guess the last three months or so. Is that right? That's right. And, uh, but at a certain point during this time, then a lot of stuff started happening uh, in terms of protests. uh, As we talked about earlier, but George Floyd was a catalyst for this, but it's not, it's about George Floyd, but it's not about George Floyd, right? It's not only about George Floyd. I mean, there's so many um, uh, incidents that, that have been happening and it's just like, this was just like, the the one that was like so in our face that nobody nobody could ignore what they saw um so everyone's going through all this covid stuff and then this happens how how is the how is the, what's going on right now uh, affected you personally like in, in terms of your the the way that you're going about your life has, has anything changed uh for you uh in this respect well, you know, um, I, I going back to what you were saying about being in this pandemic, I feel like this is, you know, um, the awakening. It's been an awakening of 
a pandemic that's haunted, you know, people of color for a long time, which is mm. the racial pandemic. Sure. Because, and it's been, it's an invisible virus too, because unless you see it, you don't really get it. Yep. And I think, I think what's happened with George Floyd is more people are seeing what, you know, people of color, black and brown people have experienced their whole lives, which is living with the pandemic of racism, the virus of racism, because it inflicts people's minds and hearts. And it has, you know, catastrophic financial and emotional effects on the groups that um, have to deal with racism. So, you know, for me, I have to say somebody who's a person of color who's lived with racism, you know, my whole life, um, I wasn't as affected. But what I did find interesting is that people have reached out to me, people white people have reached out to me during this to ask me how I'm doing mm-hmm. because I think that's, it's been this awakening for them to understand what I have to live with. It's it, for me, it's been an armor I've had to carry and it's, it's been, it's been like um, a narrative I've had to hold on to, to recognize um, here's the invisible battle I'm always facing when I'm dealing with um, my business and going about my business. You know, it's one of the reasons I, you know, put uh, emphasis on being credentialed as a person of color, talking about financial advice. It's one of the things that drives and motivates me to 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 really set the bar higher for myself. It's mm. always been the things I've I've actually been very aware of, top of mind, that to make sure that when people meet me, understand me, want to work with me, they they can look at me based on my merit. And so that's something I've pushed for as a person of color, you know, talking finance, just because I didn't want them to just see my color and make a decision. But I felt that, you know, people who are, you know, not of color, people who are white, who are um, for the first time having this awakening of what it's like to be a, a, a black person, they're reaching out to me asking me how I'm doing, which I find fascinating, right? And and I appreciate, I appreciate that, you know, for this moment in time, um, they they are actually more empathetic to my circumstances. So, you know, I'm encouraging them to use this moment, not just to be empathetic, but to to stand with me and 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 really um, decide in this moment, there'll be zero tolerance for racism because it's actually good for business to not be a racist. Yeah. Right? It's a good surprise. <laughs> yeah, shocking, right? I think um, Band-Aid just recently announced that they're having band-aids of color <laughs> like and i actually put a band-aid on that actually looks like my skin color i think there's what? already a company uh, called what? roundages right that's yeah Roundages. yeah and it I does that it. and uh i mean i don't know if that was just uh, recent too but i mean it, it makes is. sense right everything right. everything is set upon the, the default we had a conversation about uh, that in my 100th episode as well you know uh, uh in terms of uh, crash test dummies in terms of the way that a city decided to snowplow their roads, right? It is based on uh, gender and, and, you know, like everything is just had this default needs to just be mitigated a little bit, right? Uh, At least to start, right? No, 100%. So to me, um, here's this moment that everybody can be more empathetic, but empathy is actually good for everyone. Empathy solves problems, right? Um, empathy actually allows, if, if I'm at the table and I'm a business and I'm trying to um, market to people and I understand where certain groups of my market are coming from, am I not going to win more clients? Is that not what every CEO wants to do? So why not have boards be more reflected? 
of and 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 management teams be more reflected so you don't create these circumstances that you don't want to be in and you solve more problems either at the business table or if you're in government at the uh in social problems why not solve more problems isn't that what we're here all here for yeah absolutely uh, you know I, you and I were talking about the the black tax a little bit earlier uh, i think right. before the show actually before the show. um and i i might have mentioned this in last week's episode too but the the thing that that uh, Sean Rochester said in an interview that really explained uh, systemic racism to me a little better is that if there's the you know say the half the room is filled with with black people right um, that's that's fine but as the majority grows if the if if you walk into a room and it's as a white person and it's all black people something feels off about that. Right? That's right. You know what I mean? It's not no. it's not that I'd be like, oh, my God, like running out of the room. But uh, systemic racism, because of the way that this has been built up, it's just you look at that and you think this isn't right. And what and, and how do but how do we change that? That's that's a thing. Right. That That's that is just like I think I personally think education is probably one of the first things. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree with uh, education and education is going to come from having more diversity. Like people think that having representation is a bad thing, but having representation means the society that is actually there. So people who are in uh, positions of power, if there are more representation, that means more voices are being heard, which means, as I said, more problems are being solved. Because if you have a room where you're describing where there's mostly people that all look the same, they might all come to the same conclusion, which might be the wrong conclusion because they're missing crucial information they don't know because there's not enough empathy in the room to understand what's actually happening in that society as a whole. What's, mm-hmm. so what's the problem you're trying to solve and who should be on that boat so that you make sure you got a really good understanding of that problem. But if everybody's there and they're all thinking the same thing, coming to the same conclusion, giving themselves a self-congratulatory pat on the back for going, yeah, you're right. We all see this the same way. This is, of course, this is what happened. <laughs> then what are you really missing? It, it it sounds so obvious, right? It, it, <laughs> it's that's the thing about a lot of this stuff is it's, it's so clear to those of us who actually have an open mind, all right. And and it's it's just how do we get? To, I think it, we have to sort of get in new nuance the discussion to get to people who have this closed mind for them to understand, right? With examples like the 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 one I gave about the whole room, why does it make me feel uncomfortable? Think about that. Think about why. Why are you uncomfortable with this room filled with black people, right? Or even just people who don't look like you. And then, hey, maybe right. maybe you you understand a little bit about what you go through every day. Right? I was going to say, welcome <laughs> to my world. Seriously. Right? Here's the thing, like in, and I've been in many many rooms like that as a as a financial advisor of color, who have gone. You know, there's very few, especially. Um, once you start going further up the ladder and you go to certain events and certain meetings, I've been mistaken for the secretary or somebody's assistant many a oh, time, <laughs> just simply because, you know, people aren't used to seeing people like me in the room. And, and you know what, truthfully, what that did is it just made me get used to being seen. Right. Okay. Yeah. So thank you all the people, uh, you know, all the white men I've met in my life because they got me really way more comfortable with being seen because I was seen anyway. I just stick out. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean that you use that to your advantage. Um, but like, how does it, how does it feel along the way? It, 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 like, was it very hard? 
No, it is. It's, it's difficult. I mean, I, and I, I think I, I had shared this with you offline that, you know, one of the things that happened um, back in 2016. Yes, I wanted you to when, talk about this. Yeah. When, when, I, when I was nominated as a finalist for Women of Influence in, in Finance is, you know, uh, a journalist reached out to me and wanted to fe- like they were going to feature all of the finalists in this in this issue. And I won't talk about what who the magazine was because it doesn't matter. Okay. But bottom line is um, I was going to be featured in there. They wanted to know what I thought about the industry, women being a woman of color. And, you know, I innocently said at the time that I, you know, one of the things I thought was that it was unfortunate that there were so many there was the business was still consisted primarily of old white men. And what a missed opportunity, you know, that there wasn't any more representation because, you know, if if the industry was going to serve the community, they they need to, to consider there's more women entering the industry. There's, you know, women, women of color, people of color. And wouldn't it be nice if there was more representation of an industry that actually looked like the community that they were serving? Absolutely. So they didn't post all of that, of course. Yeah. <laughs> what they did post when the article came out was that they put in bold print above my head um, that um, I had said that the it's unfortunate the industry was still um, mainly comprised of old white men. And in the, in the paragraph that, that followed, instead of them saying, printing any of the other things I said, they p- actually put the same information at the bottom of the caption in bold as well. So tr- truthfully, um, most of the things I said did never get captured. And, and, you know, I was pretty much pimped out as far as I'm concerned for the wow. sensationalism of it all. And it was extremely hurtful. I was the only person of color in the featured in this, you know, women of, woman of influence finalist. And, you know, it, it really hurt for a really long time. And, you know, I really felt like every room I entered after that, that was over my head. And I just felt like people saw me as a troublemaker. And um, yeah, it was a really, it was a really painful time. And it was, and I thought I was just speaking something that seemed fairly obvious to everybody. Yeah, it is but, obvious. And, and, but they just were not um, interested in, helping change that at all it seems yeah you know and and what i think about that is you know truthfully and this is what i mean this is what racism looks like i what i was said was commoditized and made to sell more of their magazines right and the truth is to me what a missed opportunity for a conversation about race yes and a conversation about representation and this is what i mean because if there were people of color maybe at the at the magazine they'd say listen this is an opportunity for us to actually we could get more readers if we had a real conversation about race we could be a trailblazer in this area and but yeah and so thank you first of all thank you for persevering past that um right it's uh, that's that's such a hard thing to go through right um and it was I can, very painful. and i you we've talked about this and i can see that it's still very emotional yeah for you. It is still, it's, it's still very painful it's still a hard thing to go through and the but you know four years later you're you're getting the trailblazer opportunities <laughs> which is which is great right because i mean did, did you feel like i don't know maybe this is a weird question but did you feel like you you knew this was eventually coming? This no, is, no. Okay, you <laughs> that's did. A no. That's no. a no vote. Okay. <laughs> you know, honestly, um, wow. I would have never thought. In fact, I think that made me very resistant to be actually to do press for a while. It really, like, I had people people 
after that kept reaching out to me and I was scared to okay. actually do another interview after that. Yeah, I, and I, yeah. was, I was hurt and I felt really, like I said, I felt exploited in that moment. And well, you were, you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, um, it took this one journalist who kept persevering. She kept emailing me. She kept phoning my office and, and trying to talk to my assistant. And, and we finally connected and she featured me in a, in a news um, article, a few uh, weeks later, and it was such a completely different approach, okay. right? She was she was very empathetic. She told my entire story, and you know, honestly, she's probably the person who um, catapulted me into this trailblazer sort of um, persona because she um, put my story. She made me human. She humanized, yeah. and and then all of a sudden, I had all of these people reaching out to me, and I'll I'll be eternally grateful to her because. Probably if it wasn't for her, I probably would never do another news media story. If it wasn't for her perseverance and it wasn't for her thoughtful portrayal of me, um, then I probably wouldn't do another news news media piece. So I'm very grateful for, you know, being humanized after feeling completely commoditized by by the industry that I work with. Right. That That is that's amazing. You know, uh, and we need uh, people to keep doing this. I, I feel like you will be able to do this for one or more people going forward in the future to be able to, you know, it's the, the move the dial uh, campaign, hashtag move the dial. I, I seem to mention this all the time these days um, that Jody Kovitz is, uh, um, uh, she is, uh, she's created this uh, uh, hashtag move the dial uh, for women in tech mostly. Uh, that, that was the original. Yes. yes. So, you know, it's the idea that I can pick up a phone now and say, hey, this person would be good for that. Um, and uh, without that, the person might never, ever consider you for that position. And so it, it the target is, of course, the old white men, right? Um, because yeah. they're in the positions of power. This is just how society has evolved. And, and we're still trying to change that. But, uh, you know, the, the old white men with the power need to be involved in this. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and this is their opportunity. So, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunities, you know, even though it was a very painful thing to have happened, I'm grateful for the opportunities that have come out of it. And, you know, here's the thing, it, it started the conversation, here we are four years later, talking about race, and, and tr truthfully, probably, as a result of um, what happened with George Floyd, we're having a much more deeper and more meaningful conversation about race that needed to happen all the time. Mm -hmm. So, because at the end of the day, like I said, people's skin color is such a random thing. And so for hearts and minds to be closed because of one's skin color, it's a really unfortunate um, blemish, as far as I'm concerned, on humanity. Because okay. all, at the end of the day, we're all humans. Just to comment on that, this is, this is what I've always thought, right? And I thought originally, you know, let's say in the last 10 years, that the way to go about it was, well, I don't see color, I don't see race, you know, the thing that everybody says. But, but of course, we've realized, you know, in the last decade or so, especially, that no, we have to um, acknowledge all of the differences and understand so that we can move forward. Otherwise, it's just like, if we're just blind to everything, then there's no progress. It's just still there. It's simmering, right? No, it's it's true. And and truthfully, if, if you really wanted to get to know who I am, you'd really need to, as I, as we talked about, talk about my history, my story, where I come from, mm -hmm. the experiences that shaped me. That's really how you, you can actually measure someone's huma humanity is understanding that history. And that's probably why I'm 
super fascinated with people's biographies, um, just as a, a social scientist in a way. Yeah. I, and that's probably why I studied psychology, because that's what I come, have come to realize. Really what makes somebody human is their personal stories and their personal journeys. And, and so, you know, to be in conversation like we're, we are right now, that's the most important thing that we can do as human beings is to learn about each other. And, and that's what happens when you have representation, right? More people are in uncomfortable conversations, but at the end of it, we learn, Yeah, you know, if we're open to it. Yeah. Th- this is why I started this podcast. You know, I, I, uh, I want I I wish I was back in my old format so we we tell your whole story, um, and we did a little bit we 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 did enough I think for people to sort of get it but I will I want you to listen if you want to know more to the the uh, what is it oh why can't I remember the name of this podcast the money business mindset minding your business thank you minding your business podcast it's just one of our, <laughs> so that that is a more robust thing and of course you'll be on the show in the future that is the best way that's why i tell full stories that's why i started doing this it helps so much to understand people and then then you can understand behavior and, and our behavior and your behavior and there's something in there yeah and i and i think those are the things that will counter racism right is the more we actually understand that we're all humans mm-hmm. that we all stories that we all have biases and and that still doesn't make us less human it just it actually probably makes us more human and and at the end of the day we all have to learn how to live with one another because we're all humans on this earth right the 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 planet we live on is actually we're all sharing the same experiences right now globally we're dealing with a pandemic right so as you said we're all kind of in this together but differently right so sharing like having clients tell me their their stories, why I share my story is so that they see me as a human being living, living in this time that we're living in, but also my past and my experiences with money that have shaped me to make me who I am today. Just so again, they can share their stories and as human beings, we can meet, right? And so, and so, you know, unfortunately, um, some people will be open to that. Some people won't, but we're going to continue to have these conversations to hopefully open up more hearts and minds. That's all. That's all that we can do. Just keep talking about it. So thanks so much for coming on the show. This is really great. And um, so again, uh, you are going to be on the show in the future. I don't know when that is. You know, I'm I'm not sure. The schedules will allow for me to get back to it. But um, this is the bonus uh, series that I started, uh, episode thirteen, COVID nineteen. Um, so Jackie Porter uh, asks. Ja- uh, wait, ask Jackie Porter, ask Jackie.ca. Ask Jackie.ca. That's Perfect. right. Perfect. And on uh, Twitter or Instagram, what, Insta, you do your. Uh... Yeah, Instagram, it's I am Jackie Porter. And, you know, like I said, every week I do a uh, uh, Instagram live at five, live at five. Live at five. And this week I'm going to actually do moms and working moms in COVID. So for your listeners who are interested, I'm going to be talking to working moms. How are they coping during COVID? Perfect. Um, I'm about that and look forward to that conversation also a great show on cbc are you are you a fan of the working mom show yes, working yeah. moms, i am actually yeah it's really cool that's one of the reasons they explore so many things in that show i've only i've been watching it peripherally my, my wife has uh, been watching all the all the episodes and the ones i watch i'm like wow that's awesome like <laughs> tackling yeah, all these yeah. 
working moms, it's already crazy. But now with COVID, it's it's like bringing it to a whole nother level of, of craziness. You and I can have probably an hour conversation about each thing that we mentioned. Uh, so so for now, let's, let's, let's hold on that. And uh, uh, until next time. Um, I'll be back. So, yeah, you'll be you'll be back for sure. If uh, not multiple times, uh, if we don't make a podcast together. So yeah, next week I have uh, Danielle Desir uh, on the show. She she is a Thought Card podcast and also uh, the founder of uh, the WOC Podcasters, as Women of Color Podcasters. So I'm excited to talk to her about that. She's got a great network going on there, and uh, so I'll see you next week.